0: You're listening to a special episode of the Offscript Podcast. My name is Mark Coffin, and I'm one of your hosts. In last week's podcast, we told you about a book called Tragedy in the Commons Former MPs Speak Out on Canada's Failing Democracy. It was written by Michael mcmillan and Alison Lode, co founders of Samara, and two of the voices you heard on last week's podcast. Their book and the research they did partly inspired this podcast. And we wanted to share some of what sparked our interest in interviewing former MLAs. In this special episode, we're sharing an extended version of the interview we did with Alison Lowe for last week's podcast. The other voice you'll hear, aside from Allison's, is Louise Cochran. And Louise has been co-leading this project with me for the past few years. In our interview with Allison, we asked her how exactly they arrived at the idea of an exit interview for former MPs and what impact her work has had on Canadian politics. So Allison, you wrote the book when you were running an organization called Samara. And I uh, wonder if you tell us a bit about that organization and let us know what you're doing now. Sure. Well,
1: Samara was an organization I co-founded in 2009 uh, with Michael McMillan in Toronto. And our goal was to is and remains to try and uh, re- reinvigorate Canadian democracy and in- improve the connection between citizens and their politics. So that was um, really, the, the exit interviews that led to tragedy in the commons were our, was our first project. And I can talk more about that later. Um, right now, I am the managing director of another new nonprofit organization called FCLT Global, which stands for Focusing Capital in the Long Term, and we work with uh, businesses and investors to try to increase the long-term horizon in their decision making, um, because we hope that if that happens, we'll have uh, more sustainable organizations and uh, better well-being for for citizens around the world.
0: So, as I understand it, the X interview project was the one of the very first or or the first project that Samara ever did. What motivated you to do it?
1: You well, know, back in the early days of Samara, when Michael and I first met, uh, we shared um, a concern. Uh, and a belief that you know, Canadian democracy could be better. Uh, you know, obviously Canada, as we all know, is a, is a wonderful place. And we thought that, you know, we could aspire to a better quality of politics and governance for all of us. Uh, lofty goal, wonderful to hear, but uh, our challenge is how do we actually make that a little bit more concrete? Um, so we spent a long time, frankly, thinking about what our first project would be. Uh, because often, as, as you would well know, the first thing you do often says, you know, more about you than any words ever would say. Uh, so it was, it was frankly a process, so, uh, we spoke to a lot of different people who've been in politics, outside of politics, in and around public service to get their advice on how we might take the most practical first step. Uh, one of the ideas that we had was that um, it was really the recognition that a lot of elected officials when they first come into office uh, are not particularly well supported. Uh, there's very little orientation. Uh, I think one of the great great strengths of our system is the diversity actually of people who do run for public office in terms of their, back, their background. Uh, we don't have a sort of, political class, uh, so to speak. I mean, there are individuals who spent their lives in politics, but most elected officials have not. So in many ways, it's a massive career transition, very unsupported. Uh, so we were thinking about doing something um, to help provide executive support and executive education, for lack of a better word, to elected officials. And uh, in the process of kind of thinking through that, somebody said, well, do we actually know what elected officials want and think? Like, has anyone ever asked them? <laughs> and So that led us to say, eh, yeah, actually, it might be useful to, uh, to try to do that. Uh, we then realized that current sitting elected officials are busy, they're constrained by political demands, partisan demands, and the like, and, and frankly haven't had that space to reflect on what that experience was and how it could be better. And so that led us to the idea of an exit interview, which, um, you know, as you have articulated, uh, is very common in other organizations, private and public, in a way to collect best practice and perspective on how an organization can improve and we thought it was kind of a sad comment that they had never been done and you know what we argue is one of the most important workplaces in the country our parliament um, and so we set out to do that uh, so um, i'll pause there and i can talk a lot more about the sort of nuts and bolts of that if it's of interest
0: i guess so, i'm curious where at the personal level we were talking a bit earlier about how The amount of work that goes into coding and analyzing all of the hours of recordings that you get from doing a project like this, how much work that takes, and we're kind of on the tail end of doing that now. What was the motivating factor for you personally when you were kind of deep in this work? Why did it matter to you at an individual level?
1: I mean, starting Samara, frankly, it, it, it was it's hard to separate, you know, m- me as an individual from the project from Samara, because frankly, they were also intertwined. Uh, I, I certainly wouldn't have started Samara uh, unless I, you know, believed and cared very deeply about, you know, the country I feel fortunate to be born in um, and a belief that it was possible to make things better. So, you know, for me, I felt even the opportunity to, you know, frankly, get paid to be able to start an organization that was concerned with those issues was, you know, it's a, it's a singular and immense privilege. And so for me, I was trying to think, you know, how do I, I personally as someone who you know cares, but I'm a pretty normal, you know, unremarkable person. I mean, how do I do right by this? And, you know, one thing I I know in this world is that, um, we, I don't think we listen enough to the people who have that frontline experience, which I most certainly did not have, you know, I have, you know, I helped out with some campaigns here and there, but I've never been an elected official and I can't pretend, you know, notwithstanding my two degrees in politics to, you know, truly know what that is like. Um, So I have to admit, you know, my my sort of intellectual curiosity was quite piqued by the opportunity just to have a chance to sit and, and talk and hear from these people. Um, and, and I also thought it, frankly, it was kind of a clever, a clever way to get us started. It was a national project. It brought forward some perspective and ideas that I don't think had been systematically collected and included, so I saw some opportunity for impact there, which was exciting. Um, and I also just thought it was, it frankly would be fun. And if you, you know, they always say, if you, if you find a job, that's fun. You don't have to work a day in your life, so, uh, so that was great. Um, but, you know, as I got into it, you know, you sort of, you'll, uncover other unexpectedly wonderful things I and mean, one is we made a decision to actually travel to the MPs themselves and to the extent possible do the interviews in person um, and most MPs retire back to their communities and you know for many they they truly retire it's their last job and so they're you know they don't have an office to go to so very often we found ourselves in you know the living rooms and the kitchen tables of of know really a snapshot of canada so i got to go uh, along with michael and we did the interview separately we kind of split up the country but you know between the two of us we saw you know uh, many nooks and crannies that i certainly would never have had had an opportunity to see before Um, so that was very special you know and and the interviews they followed a i mean we had a a sort of set script but obviously it's a conversation so it evolves Um, but we you know we had this opportunity again after kind of usually it took about ten minutes for someone to warm up and and one of the most common comments we we had at the end of an interview was nobody's asked me these questions before and so you kind of saw the MP as a you know human kind of getting into this reflective mode and and the life is so busy when you're an elected official that the reflection isn't really something that a lot of them have a chance to do um, you know even after they've left then they're like oh that's behind me and, and on with the next so to just be able to you know frankly, the privilege of hearing that, um, you know, and, and obviously being able to reflect it back into reports and books and educational materials, again, just, you know, a singular privilege, really, uh, to be able to do it.
0: Do you remember what it was like going into your very first exit interview?
1: I do. I mean, interesting. It was in October, 2009. And and this was one that was uncommon in that I was interviewing somebody who she, her her name is Patty Torsney and she had uh, been elected when she was about 30. Uh, so she'd been in office for, you know, 10 or 12 years, but she was still like kind of in her early mid career uh, when I interviewed her. So she actually had worked, she, even though she's from Burlington, she worked down on the street basically for me in Toronto. So we met in the Samara offices and that was the only one that was done in the Samara offices. Uh, so I, I remember it very well, and you know, frankly, part of it was that it was, she was she's a wonderful person, warm, friendly, interesting. Um, she had you know been elected as a very young woman, um, and she had grown up in politics, and you know all uh, and you know her all of that 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 entailed. So you know, her story was one of you know the public impact that she aimed to have, but also you know her own professional path. Um, you know, and there were some lessons that she shared there that you know I, I actually still remember because they I think they're useful for life. Um, it, she worked. She was a liberal, so Jean christian was prime minister for you know all most if not all of her time, and he was really, as she said, very supportive of of young MPs and actually encouraged them to go and get a diversity of experience. And it makes sense because he had been the minister of many things. Um, and so his point is, you know every department is different. It's a different organization. Uh, and you also need to spend you know, at least one or two uh, periods of time a year abroad. Uh, because you, you basically you need to learn how all these different pieces work and fit together to be a truly effective public leader. And I think, you know, no matter what kind of organization you're in, that's an important thing to think about. I mean, getting that kind of cross-functional, cross-disciplinary um, you know, disciplinary experience, I think, is is just an important thing to seek out in life. And, and so, you know, there's lessons, you know, I took out of that as well as kind of interesting observations of what does it take for someone to be very successful in Canadian politics. There were other things I was worrying about, like, um, you know is are these the right set of, of questions are they flowing properly i mean it was the you know we had spent quite a long time actually developing the interview guide we asked each mp for 2 hours and you know you're asking somebody to talk about their life in 2 hours it's it's not a lot of time you have to make you know decisions about what you think is going to be interesting and what you want them to talk about and you know and frankly we we had some hypotheses of topics we thought would be interesting that went nowhere as as i shared with you um so you know part of my you know, I'm listening to her story, but part of me was also thinking structurally, but are we, are we setting this up the right way?
2: And so what were your expectations going into the interviews and how did your perception of, I guess, MPs and the wider political system in Canada change?
1: So my my expectations were... You know i frankly had a bit of nervousness because there's a leap of faith in this project and you know it wasn't you know there was a significant investment we were making organizationally in doing it uh both in terms of time but also just the resources and the travel and so you know i had i frankly was nervous uh because you know we you, know, you make a bet and you hope it's going to work <laughs> but you don't always know if it will um so you know there were interesting things along the way that we partnered with the canadian association of former parliamentarians and and some folks there advised us we'd be lucky to get five or seven people to talk to us. So, you know, we cast a wide net and then, you know, shoot, everybody wants to talk to us. So, so, you know, I have to admit I had some nervousness and, you know, apprehension, just didn't want to, to make you know mess it up, frankly. Uh, and, and so and then, you know, how did how did it change? I mean, I think. You know, frankly, I felt, you know, you feel a little bit nervous going into a stranger's house anyway, never mind somebody who's, you know, who's been a parliamentarian, but you realize quite quickly, I mean, most elected officials are successful because they're, they're, they're good people, people, people. Um, and so they do have a way of making one feel comfortable. And, uh, and I think again, you know, when we watch people arguing on TV and acting foolish, we forget that actually most of them are, are actually really nice human beings and good, really good people. Uh, so, you know, you could, you could quickly re- remember that. Um, you know, and I also think, you know, frankly, some of the, you know, I mentioned this before, but the diversity of the kinds of people who run for office is really a remarkable thing. And so there was a, you know, I think I probably had a greater appreciation of like the tapestry uh, that goes into, you know, that that house of commons. You know, we think it's all a bunch of lawyers and you know, most people we interviewed were sort of teachers, social workers, small business, men or women you know they were highly local in their backgrounds and interests so for you know somebody I I grew up in Ontario and I was living in Toronto at the time you know I don't get to go to you know small towns in Alberta very frequently or or anywhere else so to just have that sort of stitching of the country at least in my own you know through those interviews was really unique Um, you know I went to see for example one MP called John Efford, who'd been a, he'd been a uh, very active in provincial politics in Newfoundland. So everybody in Newfoundland will know him. And uh, you know, and he he says, he says, Allison, um, just meet me at the Tim Hortons. I'm like, okay, so I'm Googling, like, Tim Hortons, Newfoundland, right, like, so, and I called back, and like, there's several, which one, (laughs) which one did you mean, you know, and it was just great, so, like, you know, just, and then I kind of hit this dead road, I'm like, where am I going, the cell my cell phone's not working, and then sure enough, there's a Tim Hortons there, and he was there with his truck, and, you know, he took me to his home, and showed me, you know, the investments in the community that he had built over all the years, and, you know, and he was just, you know, a fascinating character, as anyone from Newfoundland will tell you, who knows him, so, um, so, you know, just experiences like that, you just, you know, you, you don't, they're not something I would get every day in Central Canada. So, um, you know, so I was I was grateful I was grateful for sort of broadening in the breadth of the understanding of the country I received as a as a result of doing these. And again, something, you know, frankly, the, I think the book touches on. But you know, just due to the constraints of the length, you know, there's there's twenty thousand more stories that can be told for sure. <laughs>
0: So you mentioned earlier that it took about 10 minutes for MPs to kind of warm up to you and uh, start talking a bit more openly. Was it true across the board that uh, in an exit interview, people are honest and, and raw, uh, at least more so than they'd be on the campaign trail?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. And, and you know, I think our decision to, you know, to visit them was also something that you know made people comfortable right from the get-go i mean they weren't in a television studio they weren't you know like you know so so all that kind of helps wash away some of that um you know regulating your speech that sometimes does happen in in public i'm I'm trying to think about it i don't think i had any that were were difficult at all um you know but we did have a few people who turned us down for sure not not a lot but there were some and the reasons for that i'd say were twofold there were some that just frankly said that was a time in my life that's that's gone, and in the past, and you know, I just don't think they wanted to revisit it. So perhaps that would have been an uncomfortable conversation had they agreed to it. Um, but I- so I guess my point here is they all agreed to speak, so they wanted to speak, <laughs> or else they wouldn't have agreed to. Um, and then the second reason were people who said, you know, I'm not a former yet, I want to run again. Um, you know, either in a similar role or in another part of the country, so I just, don't, I just don't consider myself a former. So if it doesn't work out in five years, call me back, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I think we, you know, we were predisposed to, to meeting with people who were willing to speak, or else they wouldn't have accepted our invitation
0: right that's interesting we had i would say um there's probably three types that we encountered in nova scotia Uh, one uh they kind of perhaps didn't necessarily trust us and and what we were up to we're looking for agenda and then two uh people who said uh, you know i don't do politics anymore uh that stuff's behind me like, like you heard as well um, and there's a few people who, Louise and I were talking about this yesterday, who in 2009 in Nova Scotia, uh, four or five people were actually facing criminal charges because of money they had stolen from taxpayers, uh, because the expense system, uh, was so poorly monitored in Nova Scotia for MLAs. And, uh, I think most have either done jail time or host arrest or both. And, uh, you know, it's a big number in a legislature of like 50 people, um, Ooh, you know, close to 10% for of for them to go away because of criminal behavior. And uh, yeah, needless to say, they were uninterested in talking to us.
1: Yeah, yeah fair enough. Uh, it reminds me, this is sort of not, not obviously on topic, but a bunch of years ago, McLean's had done this cover story on, you know, on how Quebec was the most corrupt province. Mm-hmm. And I was to this discussion on one of the radio shows on the cbc and they had people talking and one guy from nova scotia is like we were all pretty pissed off because frankly we thought nova scotia was the most corrupt <laughs> province <laughs> i thought that was kind of funny yes. anyway, that's obviously don't put that on the podcast but <laughs>
0: <laughs> i hadn't heard that story before i thought it was kind of funny so i checked with Allison and she said it was okay if we put it in the podcast
2: it's funny that you mentioned that there was like a, a a group of people who refused to do interviews who wanted to run for office again, because we actually, we interviewed Gary Burrell, um, mm-hmm. who's actually currently like the um, leader of the Nova Scotia NDP. Like he lost his seat in 2013, and he's still, he, he's like a leader without a seat. Um, yeah. and, but he was very candid. Like I was very surprised because when we interviewed him, he was actually in the middle Of his leadership campaign, um, to when he was running for the leadership of the provincial NDP. So it's so he was kind of a a unique guy.
1: Yeah, and we—I mean, there were certainly some that were running again that were happy to talk to us. So it was—it was really just a a few that fell into that camp for us.
2: And Uh, it's—it's also interesting that you mentioned that the MPs that you interviewed were more kind of candid as you're in a comfortable place with them, like their living rooms because we, I mean, Mark and I like we, you know, due to kind of budget limits. We interviewed a lot of the MLAs when they were kind of in Halifax on our business but we did go to some people's houses and we found that, you know, Mark says this is a mix of being, you know, Nova Scotian and also being kind of older and Um, But a lot of the MLAs we spoke to were like they told us perhaps like too much, like they were very, they kind of rambled a bit (laughs) because we were just like in in an informal kind of very casual setting.
0: So, uh, I know we're reaching the time we promised to uh, let you go by, Um, but there's one question I wanted to put to you uh, that might be interesting to ask before uh, we let you go was, uh, so tragedy in Commons came out a few years ago, you did the exit interviews many years ago. In the spirit of exit interviews, uh, you've uh, left your job at Samara and you're doing something else now. Looking back on this project, was there anything you would have done differently if you had a chance to do it again?
1: Yeah there's things I wonder about. So um when we spoke early on about this I kind of said you know it's worth thinking through what your end products are because that sort of leads and and we you know we knew frankly one of the big purposes of it was to start an organization um and to so we were kind of thinking we'll produce some interesting reports and and kind of see how it goes. Um I might have pushed the 199 2009 me just to be a little bit more thorough on. I mean, we had we had lots of different ideas for things, but just really, what is this for? So, you know, decision. Like for example, we this has been translated into um, you know high school textbooks, and the book is used on university curriculum. But you know, could we have been a little bit more explicit about the educational piece of it? You know, and maybe we could have talked to some people in advance and kind of set that up. So that there's things like that where I mean, I think we had great reach. I was very pleased. I think you know we have concrete examples of impact. You know, countless people who are thinking about writing for office have read the book. I mean, I'm very delighted with the project overall, I should say. So and and Tamara is looking to do it again. So that's, you know. On the whole, I'm delighted about it. So if I were to sort of, but I would sort of look back. And so that would be one thing people learn through stories. And I think these MP stories can actually be really valuable tools for younger people to, you know, better understand and appreciate, relate to the people who are in politics. We did think about things like podcasts. um, And so I, but we didn't do it. And again, I think that there could have been a good opportunity there. So that's why I'm so excited that you are doing them that's really excellent and much needed we intentionally didn't videotape people for the reasons i mentioned about ensuring that we have a comfortable conversation they don't feel it's a performance interview um, you know but maybe we could have gone back and done a couple of interviews by video just things that went to increase the reach i think you know one more you know, we thought a lot about it but just one more level of specificity and kind of objective for us might have been good but it's easy to say that in retrospect when it was successful um, <laughs> uh, so that's thing i mean then there's other things that i don't think they could have been avoided um, you know, but but things that really had to do with the kinds of questions that we asked. So there were subjects that we were, you know, really careful to avoid. So, for example, we didn't want to, you know, ask people about their families for reasons of privacy. Um, you know, we didn't. Uh, we also wanted to ask questions of people that were uniform across all the groups. So we didn't spend a lot of time talking to women about their particular issues or immigrants or, you know, that. So, you know, again, like more questions like that, um, you know, could have elicited, you know, even a deeper understanding, but again, you know, we had to make, you have to make decisions in two hours, which you can do, but things like that. I also, I might've just pushed a little more on, on on some of the personal things because frankly people did want to bring that up and talk to them. Like a lot of people would articulate their, Biggest successes as being the first of something, you know, the first MP of this background, the first MP from this area, the first woman to do that, the first man to do this. So that meant a lot to people, and I think we probably could have pulled more out um, and talk and encouraged them to talk more about that. The reason we didn't is because we were trying to, you know, sort of treat everyone the same, Um, and so questions that that you know, only spoke to a, a portion of it. But but I think, I think that was a bit of a lost opportunity um, if I were to look back critically. Um, I also uh, wondered if there's more we could have done on the cabinet minister versus backbencher distinction. That's another example of, you know, where we knew going in that mm-hmm. <laughs> people were gonna have different perspectives, but we were trying to really talk about their experiences as an MP. So more on just how government works and those in government could have been, you know, again, a little more interesting to dig into. Um, and I think, again, people wanted to talk about that few things again i think some of that stuff I, I mentioned would have actually made for some great chapters in the book we just didn't have the
0: material you've alluded to it a few times uh you know you're happy with the book you're you're proud of all the uh impacts that have uh, resulted can you talk a bit about what the the specific impacts and results are
1: i think one of the biggest you know it, impact, what kind of influences it had was on the narratives MPs used to describe themselves. So, you know, in the book and in the first chapter, a couple of chapters in particular, we point out that almost all of them, when we asked them for their background, spent a long time explaining away their interest in politics. So either saying they had never had it, um, they were asked and weren't expecting to be asked, when they were asked, they didn't want to do it. You know, this real portrait of a reluctant kind of outsider, rather than somebody, you know, we had one person who said, you know what, I thought politics was a great way to contribute and I I was delighted to have the opportunity to do it Uh, you know that doesn't feel very controversial but very few if any really said it Um, so it's interesting because since the book has come out I've had a lot of people approach me to say I read your book and that's ridiculous I've always wanted to run for office I think politics is important so I think you know just to even point out that how they as as individual political leaders in their community their country articulate the value of what they're doing has a huge influence, not only on how they think about themselves, but on how people perceive them. Because any, you know, person who hears a politician say, oh, I never wanted to do this, as, you know, give me a break, right? And so this actually, the, the narratives they use actually diminish their uh, their profession or their calling in the eyes of the public which is just so counterproductive so you know I, I would I think we need to continue to push for some of those kind of narrative reframings for example but and I think we have to actually call out elected officials to stand up for the, their profession and their selves and what they do and I think that's really important and is a huge first step um, so I think there's there's definitely been impact there and you know more to go and, and you know that, that'll that'll be ongoing um, you know more practically, Before we released the book, we released a series of reports that sort of summarized some of the major themes that we released to the media, and they did pretty well in terms of media coverage. Um, So out of that, there were some changes made to the orientation of new MPs that uh, that I because th- I think the book highlighted the fact that most of the MPs were called having no orientation or training um, and sort of wished that they'd had more so there there certainly were efforts made by you know people both in parties and also in in the parliamentary apparatus so to speak to try to you know improve that process so I think that that's you know that hopefully will continue to grow and, and continue to have impact
2: what changed like um, and was that on the part of like the house staff or was it parties who kind of you know decided to orient their staff better
1: or their NPS? So if, I mean the reason I'm general about this is because no one ever gave us like public credit for it. People just told me privately so I don't you know that's why I'm pretty general in the language because I can't you know no one's gonna say like Allison thank you yeah. <laughs> thanks to Samara. Um So there were uh, so you know the parties um, I just got one comment from one person that they read it and sort of tried to step it up. So, you know, I don't really know what that means. Uh, for the parliament people, they made some explicit changes because one of the other findings in the book was that, um, you know, the MPs didn't have a uniform understanding of what their job was and most of them couldn't even define it at all. So they spent some time in 2011 on that, you know, actually, you know, what is the role of an MP? What are the kind of competing tensions about job? Um, so kind of a 101, just, you know, I think the assumption is they all know what an MP is when they don't so that was a tangible thing i don't know if that's kind of carried forward but um but certainly those changes were made uh and I, there were a couple of others i forget but again it was like the woman one of the women in the meetings kind of whispered to me that like hey, this is happening it wasn't you know, anything public credit, because of course that's embarrassing for the parliament to admit that they haven't been doing this well for all these years, um, so so they don't want to say it. I mean, I still think it remains a challenge, you know, and part of it is just like, pray right, is practical, right? You know, like the US actually, they have a transition period. You have a defined time when you know you're running and when you start, and so you can actually schedule things. Like in, in the Canadian system, and the parliamentary system, it didn't sort of have that, that structure. So, you know, I, I understand there's practical challenges to doing it. There's also, I mean, I did a lot of actually research into orientation of MPs that we never used, but, um, but there is, you know, real legitimate, there have been efforts made fits and starts over the years, like dating back to the seventies that I researched, um, but there are real tensions between what people think MPs need to know, um, particularly between what a political party thinks the MP needs to know, a house leader thinks the MP needs to know, and the parliament, you know, officials think an MP needs to know. And so if you're sort of saying, okay, we have two days, what's the agenda conflict often emerges. Um, there's also debates it's like some elected officials, some parties don't want their people with people from the same parties and there's a bunch of junk like that. So uh, from other parties, I mean, so, you know, there's, there's reasons why it's been just not that effective, but uh, I don't think that's an adequate excuse for it to continue to be ineffective, but uh, just to recognize that context. Likewise, other players came in and tried to offer some complimentary things. Um, you know, for example, Carlton, had kind a of sort of a new weekend for new MPs, things like that. I think all of that, you know, certainly helps. Um, you know, other people have said that before, but I think the book kind of gave, propelled that and gave it a little bit of momentum. Um, and then the last thing I think is really just the the individual impact that, you know, things that are often most poignant are the things that are personal for, for people you meet. So, you know, for me, it's really been, you know, meeting people who are interested in politics or are contemplating politics or who've read the book and and give it to someone else that who they think uh, – you will know, we'll be influenced by it um and so i you know i hope it has helped people think through what it takes to be successful and effective in public life and encourages people to pursue it because it's so critical so um so i, I think about the impact on a bunch of different levels and and as i said at the beginning I mean, it's just it was sort of a singular privilege to be a part of this project so um, i'm really delighted that you continue to carry it forward in nova scotia
0: yeah well we were kind of delighted to have something to kind of pick up on and not have to reinvent uh what seems to be a great wheel, so thank you. That was our interview with Alison Lote, the former executive director of Samara Canada and co author with Michael McMillan of the book Tragedy in the Commons Former Members of Parliament Speak Out on Canada's Failing Democracy. You can get that book from Samara's website at samaracanada.com. We're also putting a link in the description for the podcast that you can follow and purchase it from Amazon. If you want to hear more about what Michael and Allison found, you can actually go to the other special episode for this week, which is a keynote address that Michael delivered in Halifax a couple of years ago at the Better Politics Awards, where he uh, unpacks really the main findings of their work. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to Offscript in iTunes and go to offscript.ca to stream the podcast or find shareable versions of our productions to share with your friends.